Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and you know today's guest from such films and shows as Pitch Perfect, Pitch Perfect 2, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. It's the talented actor and singer, Skylar Astin. This interview took place at the beginning of January while Skylar was filming season two of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So are you at all shocked at how much um, a part of our culture musicals have become? And I don't mean in the literal sense of like a Broadway show, but just with the number of TV shows and films that are like musical theater adjacent. Yeah, I think that Glee... And even uh, to a different extent, Pitch Perfect um, kind of paved the way for like, I guess, just the past 10 years for that resurgence. And kind of like, I, I think that both of those show and movies um, embraced the nerdy side of it and <laughs> were self-deprecating about it, but also embraced it at the same time. And it like found its way back into our hearts and because it wasn't claiming to be something else. It wasn't unearned. It wasn't some unjustified reason why people were singing. And I think it explained the rules, explained the game, and then we were just allowed to kind of enjoy it and move on. Going back to Broadway for a second, obviously that's always been like the, I don't want to say a pillar, but in a way it has been um, kind of the foundation for musical theater and performing and cabaret, all those things. And I'm wondering, do you think that it has shifted a bit to TV and film now where that's kind of become more of a foundation? Obviously during the pandemic, it's kind of all Wild West, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I think sans pandemic talk, I think that um, I think that actually it is appropriate to call Broadway a pillar for the genre and for the art form. And it's always going to be there, I pray, and it's always going to be there for me uh, it's my bread and butter. I, I don't only want to be first in line for an opportunity when it comes back, but also I'd be first in line literally for tickets because I, I want to support the community. I want to support my friends. And then as far as I wouldn't say it's being replaced, but I, I would almost want to say it's hopefully being embraced by TV mm -hmm. and film. And uh, not only with shows like Zoe's and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but, you know, with the success of the Disney Plus Hamilton, uh, I've been really wondering and hoping that that actual Broadway shows can start to kind of be recorded and released on a platform. And, and I think that Hamilton was that perfect example of, of something that is cultural, uh, even historical, and then it's shot in a clever way. And I know that took a lot of money and, and union situations, but I mean, you know, if we can be selective and kind of release Broadway in that kind of way, um, I think it will make the successful ones shine even more. Yeah, I know, and there's, there, there are so many rules and unions, and the, the idea of those rules, I think, is to be protective of what's on stage and that experience you have live. But at the same time, yeah, I, I don't know. It was like a couple weeks that Hamilton on Disney Plus was the biggest thing. Not The Mandalorian, not uh, Tiger King, Hamilton. Exactly. And I have a rebuttal to that, by the way, because I've been told that since, you know, 2007 when we were doing Spring Awakening and you know, there was talks of MTV releasing a live version for us and things like that. And there's always been that argument, especially then, that it could drive ticket sales down because people have no reason to come to New York mm -hmm. and see the show. I think in today's transparent society, um, it will only help 
uh, sales. That was before the age of social media, before people needed to see not only the whole trailer, but the whole movie, essentially, before seeing the movie. Um, you know, <laughs> people almost, they don't care so much about spoiling it. I think the people that don't have the means and availability to get to New York uh, and maybe can't even afford the tickets when it comes to town, uh, they're not going to see it anyway. And they'll just be robbed of the experience. And it will be a, that production will be another ghost that they heard about. And I think that the people that are going to see it are going to see it anyway, because nothing is like seeing it live. I know so many people that saw Hamilton, they're going to want to see it in New York. They're going to want to know what it's like to be in the room where it happened. I mean, and they want to be there. And and, and everyone, pun fully intended. I'm saying pun intended. And and I, I also just think that people love the experience and even the mistakes of live theater. And, oh, my God, I was there the night where an understudy had to go on and I, we didn't know what it was going to be like. And it turns out I really even liked it better. I, I miss all the nuance of theater. And you can't get that anywhere else but the stage. But to record it and immortalize it forever the way Hamilton did, I don't see any um, I don't see anything but benefit there. And I, I, I just want to say, I completely agree with this. I, I did have a background in theater for a while, and it, it is amazing because you it ultimately just want you just want to share. I think, especially as a performer, you want to share those moments. Now, I, I could literally talk to you just about that the entire time, but there's so many things to talk to you about. So, and I'm going to pass the opportunity to talk about Spring Awakening. You're best known, probably for most people, for playing uh, Jesse Swanson in the Pitch Perfect films. How did those films change your life, your in your career? You know, I, I think it was a great window for people into what I do. And I had been doing um, musicals on stage for a very long time, since I was 16. And even at, like we've mentioned, great success there. But so many people believe that kind of, you know, I broke out in, in the Pitch Perfect movies. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I like that I was able to be seen in a, in a new audience. Um, but sometimes when I'm going out for certain characters, you know, that are not like him. People are like, oh gosh, I really, it's it's interesting. I never knew he could do something different than Pitch Perfect. And to, to that, I'm always like, I've, I've literally done dozens of roles that are fully different. In fact, I was told so many times in New York that I'll never be the love interest. Hmm. That, wow. like, yeah, well, they know, right? Yeah. They know. <laughs> yeah, now, now, no more. Well, and, and yeah, I think that's also the also a, a myth of um, getting some fame. And you've been on so much. Like, uh, Zoe's, which I want to talk a little bit more about, but Crazy X and Pitch Perfect. When people recognize you, is it for a particular one, or can you tell like, oh, this is going to be a uh, this could be a Crazy X girlfriend fan? Oh my God! Well, I nothing makes me happier than the deep cuts, and uh, every once in a while. I get you you'll you'll you can tell which one I've heard more or less by kind of my reaction to it and I'll always be kind always I'm not rolling my eyes I never roll my eyes at my successes um I also addressing something we said earlier would never feel bitter about people not knowing me prior to pitch perfect I'm grateful a lot of times when people come to Broadway shows god that looks so easy and there's like two ways to react to that there's you know, how dare you? You have no idea how much work goes into it. Or we've fully done our jobs that you that you think that you had an escape, that you felt 
relieved and you can you can assume that I'm only purely up there having fun. It's so much work that goes into it. But but, you know, to then bring that back to your other question, which now I've gone on a full tangent and, and have to stop and ask you what the initial question was. I'm fairly approachable, uh, especially pre pandemic. I had no problem mm-hmm. someone coming up to me without a mask and, and telling me, you know, uh, that they appreciate my work and I'll always give a picture and, uh, you know, have a little chat. But, you know, it's like Hamlet 2, which was my first movie when I get recognized yes. for that. I'll pop so huge, like Spring Awakening fans. I love that because, you know, that's that to me. Um, it doesn't mean more than the Pitch Perfect movies. I just think that, like, you could ask Leah Michelle, you could ask John Groff. Everyone's like, what's the one indelible experience you've had? And John Groff's had Hamilton. Leah's had Glee. But we'll always go back to Spring Awakening because it was our start. And there was so much exploration within just being on national TV for the first time, all of us together. And, like, what it was like to perform at the Tonys and win, but then the responsibility to run it and uh, the net first national tour, getting that on its feet. It was just a really, really incredible experience. So of course, those will always rank in a different place. And then Hamlet 2 being my first film that I took a, a hiatus from Spring Awakening to shoot. So, you know, I, I sometimes base it also on the experiences that I had. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend will always light up my face because not only is it a super successful and critically acclaimed show, but like it was summer camp fully being on that set. It was a joy every single day. So I'm very proud of a lot of my work. So I'll, I'm happy to be recognized for anything. And I, and I, I promise I'm not going to just make this all about Pitch Perfect, but especially that first film was just so enormous. And yes. I, I'm wondering, obviously you guys you had to be a little shocked by that. And how do you deal with that amount of success so fast with that film? Well, I, okay. So there's two parts to that question. One, I just have to give a shout out to Rebel Wilson, who always knew from the first table read of the first movie that it was going to be a huge franchise. She was telling me I'm going to be a heartthrob. And at that point, you know, it was, um, it was shot um, almost like, especially the first one, not really the sequel or the third, but the first one was really shot like a bigger indie. Gold Circle Films was the sub-studio underneath um, Universal. And Universal at that point was just serving to distribute and use their, we were able to use their marketing budget, which was so cool. But that first movie was a little engine that that could, that could do some great stuff. And like, I know I liked it, but again, we've just talked incessantly about my nerdy fandom for theater and all things musical. So I knew I I loved it. I also knew what collegiate acapella was because I went to NYU for a semester and literally watched it in form being like, what is this? Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think that like making that film was uh, an appreciation for it. And then a lot of people like didn't really know of it either that were in the cast. No. And I, and then I think once it blew up, it, it really kind of took shape. I think it was like then to distinguish it from the sequels, it's like it kind of take on, took on a life of its own and like fan, there was just so many fans. And then, you know, now you got to do another riff off. And, and then Elizabeth Banks got to direct the sequel, which was really cool. Although I really love Jason Moore as a director. Um, you know, it was really Elizabeth's from a producing standpoint, it was her brainchild. Um, putting this together with her husband and colleague uh, Max Handelman, so they were really like the, the the parents of the movie, though you know maybe more like the cool cousins at times too. So when it was Elizabeth's turn to step up and direct, uh, it almost weirdly like streamlined the process. I just had a I such a joy working with her. I'd really love to work with her again as a director because it was really fun. What was fun about Elizabeth directing? 
Well, you know, I actually, as I give that answer, I'm just like, I would really like to work with her on something other than the Pitch Perfect movies, because at that point there was less, and you find this even on Zoe's, like season one or the first movie, it's all about like finding the movie and like tonally, like then when we did the sequel with Elizabeth, uh, I just, we just knew what it was. And so there was an unbelievable shorthand where she would give me, you know, some like a light bit of blocking and she'd be like, and then other than that, just do your thing, babe. I'll let you know. And just like, I do a take. And then it's like, great. And I'm not saying that she doesn't get in there and doesn't have to, but I think with her and I, we've always been really easy working together. So she just always like has been such a champion of mine and really like was my pep talker on the first movie that by the time the second movie happened, we were already at wings. And, you know, she at that point was just saying like that I really dropped the ball at age 16 and should have been in a boy band. So the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? Well, I'm kind of obsessed with my piano um, I, and just creating, playing, and writing music. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an album right now. I'm uh, at ver various stages with some songs. One, I have one song fully mastered. You know, I outsourced the mixing and the mastering to uh, one in London and one in Copenhagen. Uh, on this amazing website called Sound Better, which was bought by Spotify. And so me and my producing partner, Eric Lamb, we have just been kind of writing and recording. And um, I even invested in some great equipment in the universal audio and a manly mic. And I have a full-on vocal booth in my house now. Um, <laughs> and so when I knew I had to be locked in a room for 14 days, like I actually am right now, I'm on day uh, 12, of 14, I, I, but I'm now at the proper um, apartment that I've been, you know, staying at since these two weeks were up. But for the first two weeks in that summer, I stayed in this guest house, which was a part recording studio. And on day uh, 12, 10, actually, the WHO allows your host to be there with a mask on. And so he recorded my vocals for the two songs that I had wrote, written during quarantine. And we've just been rolling that way. So we're just in various stages of post-production you know, with the songs that we've already done, um, pre-production with the songs that we're writing, and then just production when I get back. And, and when you're making these songs, is it um, is it like the, the the lyrics and vocals come first, or is it the music like what what oh, is? Yeah. How do you know it's a song? So it's been such a fun experience. So initially, early on in the quarantine, I really, like I said, fell in love with my childhood piano, which I had shipped from New York to LA years ago. It now has a wonderful home in my new house. But but actually, I had moved during the quarantine. So early on, I was just in this really cool tree house that I had lived in for like two years in Los Feliz and uh, was just playing. I did this, this series called Home Keys on my Instagram early on, where I would just kind of wake up every day and just play a cover and kind of just first draft sight reading from like the chords that I found online, a song that I've been familiar with or some message that resonated with me. And it was a really fun exercise. And like my followers really loved it. My family really loved it. Um, sometimes I do theater stuff. And but it was really just like opening up my capacity for for just musicality and being able to be home for that long was a gift. Now, of course, everyone's pulling out their hair. But at that point, I had I had actually not for 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 a couple of years actually and i would just write a hook in the moment and kind of put my voice memos on improv sing 
find things that we liked and just shape a song from there. And a lot of times I would come up with like a, a little hook from there or just the whole song and um, take it home and kind of shape a song within a day and then be, have a basically a rough vocal comp, you know, cause we would then build out a bridge and, and come up with the length of the song and find the shape. And he's just a great judge of stuff too. He's a really perfect partner for me because <laughs> sometimes I go a bit too far and he reins me in, but He's also just so the yin to my yang because he he just thinks about things in terms of production so much. So it's just been fun to kind of do that. And I think of things in terms of vocal arrangements and harmonies. And sometimes I like to put the whole kitchen sink in there. And sometimes I win that fight. <laughs> Sounds like a very like Reese's Cup kind of relationship there. Um, I say, while you were doing that, a lot of us in the pandemic, I speak to my own knowledge of my friends. So I'm just assuming that's everybody. But um, I know a lot of us, uh, a lot of my friends and I discovered Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist a little bit late. It debuted in January 2020. Pandemic stuff happened. And I think a lot of us were, you know, just going through shows, finding ways to be distracted or a few, uh, some of my friends who unfortunately lost their job. What was the reaction you got from season one like? And what can we expect in season two? Well, I think that what people really didn't expect from season one was the emotion and the pathos. And that was really brought forward by Peter Gallagher and um, Jane Levy's relationship in Mitch and Zoe, respectively. And we definitely, everyone had beautiful moments, whether it was John Clarence Stewart, uh, myself. But um, that was, that was really took people by surprise, just like the family drama aspect of it um, and deep, meaningful, heartfelt relationships. Um, and because, you know, we, we lured people in with a 30 second promo, which is, you know, a, a little flashy flashes of music and upbeat just to kind of wake people up. But, you know, it's really difficult to kind of put what the show is in 30 seconds, especially the initial pitch. So I think by the end of the pilot, we really earned viewers with the Peter moment and people then stayed to watch these characters develop. And um, now in season two, it's taken on this really beautiful place where we feel, I really feel this connection from our fans is like this, um, we're this escape. And I can't, cause I just can't tell you the overwhelming response of like, God, I just need, this is exactly what the world needs. And, and uh, to hear it out of their mouth, something that we've, we've believed and we've been saying for a while is really rewarding because in the way we're all putting it on the online. And I, I speak on behalf of the crew and the cast and the creatives to be up here, you know, uh, we believe that we're doing something really special on top of great work. You know, we're really great, grateful that audiences feel the same way. So yeah, I think, um, I think it kind of took off when people realized that they really love the characters. And, and going back to Max, um, what did you get from playing Max? What have you learned about yourself from playing this character? Um, I really see like something that I feel really strongly about is Max's dignity. I just didn't want him to fall into a place where he didn't have his own integrity because I wanted him to be able to like carry his stories. And I feel like through that want and desire, it's made me, you know, I have to reflect that in my life. And I always do, which is why I want to put it in there with Max. But uh, I just think it helps me with personal choices and, 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 and maintaining a sense of pride. I'm aware that there's things that Max has that is, are more evolved than me and vice versa. But, you know, I want to I, I like that they've become symbiotic, especially because Austin really likes to write us and likes to draw from us. And I'm not saying Max and Skylar are the same at all, 
But, um, you know, there's things, there's, <laughs> there's a line coming up this week where I mentioned professional wrestling, which by the way is another obsession of mine, but, um, you know, and he <laughs> like, I thought you'd like that. I'm like, let me think about it. Let me see how Max would like actually phrase that because it was, um, it's, it's a moment where Zoe's having nightmares. So I am able to, um, kind of trail off because it, it, you know, so I got to improv a, a bit of it. So I think he, he knew that I'd enjoy kind of ranting about something I actually love, you know, from that to, um, you know, deeper moments about Max and things that really make him soulful and sometimes heroic. If I had met you before something like Pitch Perfect or even Hamlet 2, what would have been your go-to karaoke song back then? I've actually had some incredible karaoke moments in the past two years at the height of filming this kind of stuff. One was at the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist uh, season one premiere party at, uh, gosh, I forget the name, but it's Darren Chris's bar. Um, Tramp Stamp Grannies, that's right. So um, <laughs> and, and it's so fun and it's, you know, and uh, I sang so many things with Alex Newell. We sing, we sang Suddenly Seymour. At the very end, I was a little drunk and I closed down the place with Alex. And then I sang New York State of Mind, you know, mm. and there was a time and a place for it for some reason in my life. And I was like, okay. But as far as like personally, there was a dinner with Peter Gallagher where he like gave us this incredible speech. But then there was this private karaoke thing where Alex sang, uh, I want to dance with somebody. Uh, I did a Josh Groban impression. Um, but then also sang a little thing called Love with Cap, Kapil Tallwalker, who plays Tobin, whose birthday it was. Um, Michael Thomas Grant sang Queen. And everyone was just like admiring and loving and being inspired. And it, it really like bonded us in, in, in an amazing way. So I don't know. Maybe I do love karaoke and maybe I love it in the right setting. And maybe I do take it seriously. And it's a very fun thing. Well, I absolutely love the answer to that question. I do want to wrap things up. We do a thing called pick one, and I give you a couple of choices, and you pick one. Your choice doesn't mean it's better than the other. It could, and you're encouraged to talk things out. So let's play pick one. Okay, perfect. All right, so the first one is pick one, Broadway, TV, or film. How dare you? Can't this be like Mary? <laughs> I mean, at this point where I'm feeling in this pandemic and you know the threat that comes to one, you know, the live experience and just something that will always keep me able to do the others, it would have to be Broadway. All right. Next one is acapella or an accompanied song? An accompanied song. Sorry. How come? There's no, and, and, and not that I don't love acapella, but come on, the endless opportunities with instruments and production now, it's there's no question. I, that's, that's a big part of it for me. This next one, I'm, I'm going to apologize for it because it's a lot, but uh, I think you'll see where I'm going with this. All right, so pick one. Andre the Giant, <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Macho Man, Randy Savage, pick one. I mean, first of all, the answer is Shawn Michaels, and he's not on that list. Um, but <laughs> I was, You know, it's funny. I almost had him on the list. <laughs> sexy, sexy boy. Yeah, the heartbreak. Um, so I think, you know, that would have been – but now you're making me think more. So it's, it's between Macho Man and The Rock. Uh, it's tough because Stone Cold also. So also Andre the Giant. And Hulk Hogan's a bit problematic right now. So um, I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> I've never been a Hogan guy. By the way, never been a Hogan guy. Actually, I was when I was little. But as I've gotten to like grow up, I'm like, Macho Man was just a different kind of worker. Uh, Stone Cold literally is on a rush, the, the Mount Rushmore, though. 
probably with Hulk Hogan for different reasons. Now I'm getting real nerdy on you. Um, I guess it's Stone Cold, The Rock, who's just done so much for the um, sport outside of the ring. And then, and then Macho Man, who was just, I went to his wedding at 1991, SummerSlam. I <gasps> literally, yeah, I was at the garden. Yeah. So it was my first wedding. So I, I there's a big, and also the elbow, the elbow drop. And he's the guy who I always, because we were told, essentially he was number two to Hulk Hogan. At the, but, but as you get older, you realize that Macho Man was just, whew, also the intercontinental belt. No, I guess it's got to be Mach. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you this. If theater does spring back to life and we're able to sit next to each other in an open, in a, in a large space like that, um, is there a role that would, would you'd want to come back to the stage for? Is there a musical that you've not done that you're like, oh, I wanna, I'd love to do that live? It's always going to be Sunday in the Park with George for me. Always. I also would like to um, do the production that I did in – at the Hollywood Bowl of Into the Woods with that exact cast. And I know that they would all love to do it, pending availability, of course. Who, who, did, you play, who did you play in that? I, I'm sorry, I didn't know about that. I was the baker, and, <laughs> and the baker's wife was Sutton friggin' Foster. And <gasps> nice. yeah, thank you for that gasp. Now I know you get it. So she's my number one. She's um, the Meryl Streep of Broadway for me. And we all like grew up with her, with Early Modern Millie, through Little Women, through Shrek, through everything she's ever done, Violet, you know, the plays she's done and obviously her work on TV. But like, you know, for me, and the coolest part about that was she um, was the baker's wife and that's her dream role. So I got to do her dream role with her. George Surratt's my dream role in Sunday in the Park with George, but hers, so I got to do a face-to-face with her and, you know, it, we all at Sierra Vargas played um, Cinderella, Gaten Matarazzo played Jack, Cheyenne Jackson played Cinderella's Prince, Shani Chante played uh, Little Red. I mean, it was like, it was out of control. Anthony Cravello, Tony winner for Kiss the Spider Woman, played the Mysterious Man and like no more. We got, we just sang it, sang the crap. Like it's just, and, and now I just work with Chip Zion, who's given me so many great Into the Woods stories, who was the original baker. He plays my dad on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So, into the Woods is, I just grew such appreciation for it in doing it. And we would love to do a proper revival. I think that would be a great thing to bring back Broadway. And then um, there's so many. There's Parade. There's, of course, always new works that I want to do. Mm-hmm. I really want to do Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Hollywood Bowl. I think that'd be a really fun thing for them. They, they're always like doing, trying to get big IP and, and, and audiences there, um, like into the woods. And we did, I did rent there 10 years ago and, um, they're, they're always doing things that were just movie musicals, but I just think Joseph is just also the way I want to do it is very, very cool. I think so. So basically all the musicals, you want to do all the musicals? I think almost everything I've asked you, maybe aside from the, uh, Macho Man question has been related to musical theater, singing somehow. What happens when you lose your voice? What happens when you can't sing? Um, like like if I had like a sinus infection or something like that? Ab- absolutely. So I actually, this is going to sound weird. Um, you know, everything's always like different now because pandemic. So, you, But I had a uh, bad sign and I, I, I don't go down. This is such a terrible thing to say, but I don't go down. But when I do, I go down hard. And um I got so sick when I was doing How to Succeed for the Kennedy Center. 
and you only have like same thing with the Hollywood Bowl, same thing for the encores. You have like basically eight work days to get something from first day of rehearsal to we're going to DC for tech. And so you are on such a pace, especially when you're the lead and on stage as much as Finch is in, in how to succeed. And, um, you know, I just couldn't not be there for three days. And I, and by the way, this thing took a while. So it's frightening and it's emotional. And there are moments where you're like, will it come back in time? Um, and you don't even make a full recovery by the time it's opening night. So training, um, knowing how to mark and go on autopilot, this, the experience of being on Broadway and having to get through a show when you have an injury or something to work through that you can't call time out for. You learn so much when you do eight shows a week because just think about everything that you go through, not just losing your voice, but every ailment, every emotional uh, stumble um, that you're dealing with, you has to kind of go away when you have your show. Um, you can't just keep missing shows. So I think that kind of stuff bears you down for those moments and keeps you honest. But I won't lie and, and, and not say that it, it causes tremendous anxiety, especially when you do a show and it becomes your own. You, you, you become so familiar with the muscles that it takes and you rely on certain different ones. I, I'm speechless just because it's, it's uh, so personal, like that kind of thing to go through. And um, it's one thing to have talent and ability, but also it, it's true that you need those skills to fall back on. You need to know your body when it's getting sick or... Uh, and, and no ways to even dis, uh, remedy small things. Like I would know people who, as soon as they had that first little tingle in the back of their throat, would, you know, be gargling salt water and wearing a scarf and getting Thayer's like slippery elm drops, you know, stuff like that. I became so OCD with like Spring Awakening. I, for no reason other than, I guess if it comforted me, I would gargle with salt water before every, I, I haven't done this in a musical in so long, but maybe where it was that winter, maybe where it just was with my, you know, grossly to say, but just feeling maybe dry. Um, it just felt like I was ready to, it would coat me just to gargle with salt water every day, a 15 minute call. And it would take like 10 minutes to get the hot water in my dressing room to become hot at the Eugene O'Neill. So I would run it. I would run the faucet. Um, and literally like it was, uh, until I discovered, you know, an electric, um, tea kettle, but like, you know, if I, 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 you become obsessed with the weirdest stuff and so aware every sing, every Broadway musical performer will tell you that the just constantly checking in with yourself that you don't have to do when you do a play. And of course you have to be in charge of your body, your instrument, and most importantly, your brain, different, different muscles flex there. Something else I have a great appreciation for and definitely want to do again. I mean, I think my family and mother selfishly would want to see me come to New York for another musical, but I really love doing the other stuff too. <laughs> the sequel interview. No, Skylar, seriously, yeah. thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. And I'm really excited to, uh, for season two. Oh yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I'm excited for you to see it. I want to thank Skylar for chatting with me and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch season two of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist on Tuesdays on NBC. And if you want to hear more about the show, check out our interview with the show's creator, Austin Winsberg. Also, please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care. <laughs> <laughs>